King Jesus is here right now. And I want to let you know, friend, that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is an upside down kingdom. If you really consider it, this is a kingdom that's unlike any other regime in this world. This is a kingdom that is proclaiming a message that is different than any other kingdom of this world. I mean, think about the song that we just sung. King Jesus, the creator and king of all of the universe. I know a lot of us are used to it because we've been in church forever, but just consider a king. If he's really the creator of everything, a king that would step out of heaven and bleed for us, be beaten for us, be whipped for us. My heart's prayer for you is that you would behold him today, that you would see him rightly for who he is, and that you would see the kingdom that is near to you. And you might be thinking, I don't feel it. Friend, that doesn't change the fact that the kingdom is near. Think about all the people that experienced Jesus. They all experienced the same Jesus, the same reality of him in the moment. And yet some people fell at his feet. They loved him and adored him and they needed him and they wanted him. And others, they reviled him and detested him and wanted to murder him. They had the same experience of him. He's here right now. The kingdom of God is near to you right now. This is an upside down kingdom though. We're gonna begin a series today and it's all about what's called the Beatitudes. It's the first, it's really the introduction to Jesus' longest recorded sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And so I just want to read it with you. And I want you to, to notice the contrast that's found in these statements coming from Jesus. Because the kingdom that we live in is a kingdom of contrast. A king that would come and take our place. Us who didn't deserve it would become righteous in his place. It's a kingdom of contrast. It's a kingdom that's upside down. And this is what Jesus says. Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek. Blessed, did we miss one? Go back. Blessed are the more. Next. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Are you hungry? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you, 
persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Today I want to preach this message to you entitled, Blessings and Brokenness. Because this kingdom is not just for the successful. It's not for the wealthy. It's not for those that have it all together. This kingdom is for the broken. This kingdom is for the needy. This kingdom is for the destitute and the depraved and the sinners. This kingdom is for those of you who are poor in spirit. And I know some of you walked into this church and you're thinking, man, these guys are crazy. They're excited. They're dancing. They're happy. And you don't feel that on the inside. I want to let you know, friend, that where you're at, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling needy and broken, you are exactly in the right place to receive the kingdom and the king that is at hand. You are the one that he came for. Lord, we thank you that you're in our midst right now. And I pray in the name of Jesus that every single person, no matter their age, no matter how long they've been in church, every single one of us in this room or joining us online, that we would see you rightly. That we would behold you for who you are. That you would open our mind and our heart to comprehend what it is that you did for us and that you would restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Lord, that we would receive the kingdom that is near and King Jesus, that you would sit on the throne as you deserve. We commit this time to you, our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As you grab a seat, would you squeeze in? I think we have a full house today, which is a beautiful thing. Thank you for being with us this morning. We thank our worship team with me. Before I jump in to the describing the text, I just have a word for you, Olivia. Is that okay? The Lord put you on my heart over and over and over again for like two weeks. And I just first want to let you know that the Lord is so pleased with you and your surrender to him and your pursuit of him. And what he brought to my mind was this moment where, where we were in Hawaii and there's this one specific beach that's very dangerous because there's this one location and with your eyes you can't see it but if you look at the signs you know there's this one location that the water is just going out and if you get caught in it, there's, you're not coming back. And a lot of people have died in this location. And it, it spans from like here to here. And the only way to get safe is to not swim in against the current, but you have to go outside of it to, to be able to get back to shore. It's very dangerous. But I really felt like the Lord said that in the spirit, he wants you in that current. And he wants to take you deeper and further and further into his love and all that he has for you. And, and you don't have to work. You don't have to swim. In fact, you, you can't do anything. But the only thing that would be negative is if you get out of the current. In the natural, that's the only way to be safe. In the spirit, he was saying, if you get out, but if you just stay in my current, I'm taking you somewhere. And I'm taking you deeper. And I'm taking you out into this 
the full life that I've designed you for. And he's just so happy with how you've been surrendering to him and how you've been joining him in this journey. And I just, I, I encourage you more because he has more for you. Is that okay? God bless you. So I want to just introduce what it is this sermon and where we're at in the, in the, in the scripture text, especially for those of you that maybe are new, you haven't spent a lot of time in church, or you don't know what a beatitude is. Heck, I don't even know what a beatitude is, really. Uh, I was asking myself this week, what do these things even mean? It's like they're so simple, and you maybe have heard it a hundred times, but like, what does it really mean to be blessed? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are me. What do those things mean? And so we're going to talk all about it. But uh, what's taking place here is uh, this is the introduction to Jesus' longest recorded sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's also found in the Gospel of John. You can find it there. But uh, we're, we're really diving in the book of Matthew. And what we're, this series is all about is really the introduction to this longer sermon. And what I found out this week is that this is the longest recorded sermon of Jesus, and leading up into this moment that we just began reading, leading up into this moment, there's only seven sentences recorded that Jesus spoke. I found that to be really interesting that uh, there wasn't a whole lot. Now, granted, he, Jesus was 30 years old. He probably said a lot more than that. He did a lot more than that. But for whatever reason, Matthew didn't see it necessary to record more than seven sentences from him. And I was surprised by that because like any good Christian, I've seen the show The Chosen. <laughs> and I knew that the Sermon on the Mount wasn't until season two, you know. So I figured, <laughs> it's a great show though, you should watch it. Confession, like when I think about Jesus now, I think about Jesus from The Chosen. Is that wrong? I don't know if that's wrong or not, but like that's who I picture. He's just a great Jesus. And the disciples are great too. But Matthew, he records only seven sentences. Jesus shows up and John is baptizing people and he says, you gotta baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. And then he's led into the wilderness by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. And then he rebukes him with full, only four sentences, basically quoting scripture. And then he comes out of the wilderness and he preaches his first sermon, which was just one sentence long. Repent. For the kingdom of God is near to you. And then he dropped the mic and he walked away. <laughs> because when you grasp and when you behold that the kingdom of God is near to you, you don't need a two hour long exhortation, you just experience it. And that's my prayer is that you would experience the kingdom that is near to you. And then after his first sermon, he goes and he speaks one more sentence, and he says to some fishermen, come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And it's after those seven sentences that Jesus goes up to a mountainside, and he preaches the longest sermon. I, I was thinking about it. It's kind of, like the, kind of like the State of the Union address. You could call it the State of the Universe address. And in many ways, Jesus is like a second Moses, if you remember Moses, Moses led God's people to the base of another mountain. And he went up on that mountain and he received from God God's word and God's commandments. And he brought them down and he delivered 
God's word and commandments to the people. And so Jesus shows up as a new Moses to bring God's heart, and he speaks directly on behalf of God because he himself is God. And in fact, if you, if you look into the, the Greek of the first two sentences of this chapter, you see that six times Matthew goes out of his way to describe that is he himself speaking his own message on his own behalf. He points it out. If I could illustrate it like this, it'd be like, if I came to you and I said something, like, Logan, will you run my slides? That's like the base level of me saying something. If I came to Logan and I said, Logan, I say to you, will you run my slides? That's like number two. If I came to Logan and I said, Logan, I myself speak unto thee. <laughs> right? But it's like, this is kind of like what it's saying. Six times it says he opened his mouth and he began to speak and he taught them saying this. In other words, every preacher throughout all of history, myself and Moses included, we have all existed to speak on behalf of another. But Jesus showed up on the scene and he existed to speak on his own behalf. This is important because we have to recognize that he himself is God and what comes out of his mouth is reality. And so it opens up your mind as you consider the words that come out of his mouth. This is what God thinks. This is not a man's interpretation or exegesis, or commentary on what God might think. This is what God thinks. So when we're looking at what, what God says about who is blessed, this is what God thinks about who is blessed. Now, if you just have listened to what it is that he said, it doesn't sound or look on the surface a whole lot like what the world thinks is blessed. Right? <laughs> right? You know, we think about being wealthy. You're blessed if you're wealthy. You're blessed if you have success. You're blessed if you have followers. You're blessed if you have you move up in the ladder. You're blessed if you get that person that you want and get that marriage and get that house and get that car. And all of these things are, are things that we consider to be signs of blessing. And the truth is that that's, that's exactly what it is that the people had in their mind when Jesus was speaking to them. We have to recognize this. You know, for all of history, by the way, Humanity didn't really have the concept of atheism. That's a pretty new concept, the idea that there's no God. Pretty much all people's groups throughout all of history, all of them believed in some kind of deity, either one or multiple of them. And all peoples, especially at the time of this writing, they all were under the impression that if God was pleased with you, that you would be blessed and that you would know that you're blessed because you would bear children your, fruit, your, your uh, crops would grow, you would have food, you would know that your God is with you if you went into war and had success, you would know that your God is with you if you flourished in wealth and possessions. These are all signs, outward signs, that people throughout all of time would look at and they would know, okay, or they would think and believe at least, okay, our God is with us and blessing us because of these things. And so here we have a king that shows up and he speaks an upside-down message. And I want to let you know that this king comes to speak blessing over a people 
and a type of people and a circumstance that no other God can speak blessing over because there is no other God. And so today we're specifically going to look at these two verses. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now watch what belongs to them. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Blessed are those who mourn, for you shall be comforted. Jesus is declaring that it is not just those that appear to have everything going on and appear to have success and appear to have wealth and appear to have, appear to have blessing that are truly blessed by God and this kingdom. He's saying, I'm bringing a kingdom that's upside down and it looks unlike any kingdom of this planet. And I can speak blessing over those that the world, the world looks at the broken and says, God isn't with you. Your brokenness and your poverty is a sign that you've done something wrong and God isn't with you. And Jesus comes and he says, no, 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 no. The kingdom of God is near to you for you are positioned perfectly in the place where you can actually receive it. But reading all these, it got me thinking, what is blessing? You ever wonder that? Like, what does that mean? Specifically, when Jesus speaks this word out, what did he mean? I'm going to introduce three, three ideas, three potential interpretations of what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Number one, he could have just been making a declaration. That is a statement of reality. He could have just been saying, this is your state. This, this is your reality. Now, I have to be honest, in, in the actual like, linguistic translation of the Greek word, it does lend itself towards this interpretation because each of those words is an adjective. It's just a descriptor. This is why some versions translate it happy. It just said, you know, it, it can mean like, hey, it's just, it's just reality. You, you're blessed or you're happy if you're in this state. Now, I, I kind of struggle with that interpretation of the text because for somebody that's truly destitute and broken and hurting and, and depressed on the inside, if you just walk up to them and say, you're happy, like it, it probably wouldn't help much, you know? But maybe there is a reality that has come in the kingdom that you're not aware of. But here's a second interpretation. Jesus might be making an exhortation. That is, when he says, blessed are, he may be encouraging you to do something or to pursue something. You know, the Gospel of Luke says, blessed are the poor. The Gospel of Matthew is a little more spiritual. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. But it just gets you thinking, if Jesus is just simply ex exhorting you through this blessing, then is he really asking us to go and pursue being persecuted? Like, like, this is a blessed state, so to go and, and seek after being persecuted. Go and seek after mourning. Go and seek after, uh, right? Go and seek after being poor. Maybe, maybe not. In some senses, I think we should pursue uh, for our heart to be poor in spirit. In other words, needy for him if we sense there's pride in us. But I would submit, and I, I tend to believe that the fullness of what Jesus was describing in this initial stanza of this sermon is 
that he's offering an impartation that is a disbursement of grace from God. That when Jesus says, you are blessed, he's actually distributing a blessing to you. Think about it. When, when Jacob was wrestling with God, he's wrestling, he wouldn't let him go, and he said, he said, I won't let you go until you bless me. And God didn't just say, hey, you are blessed. You're happy. It's already your reality. No, no, no. God touched him, and he, he, he imparted something to him. Something happened. And we believe that even when we say this, you know, to each other in a sense. When we say, God bless you. Assuming that we're not just, you know, Christianese, you know, just saying it for no reason. But if you look at somebody and you really mean it, you know, Seth, I pray the Lord blesses you. We believe that there's something of substance that can take place there. Not because of us, but because the spirit can move. It's called an impartation. And so I believe that maybe a sense of all of them, but I believe that when Jesus is speaking these, it's within the context of the kingdom that he's bringing, and he himself can speak blessing that actually makes a change in situations, that he can speak a blessing that is a distribution of grace, a distribution of power, an impartation of his spirit, and it's a blessing that may or may not uh, reveal itself in terms of monetary wealth. It may or may not reveal itself in terms of what the world looks and sees as blessing. Because listen, the reality is this. If you have a lot of stuff and money and success, that's not necessarily a sign that you're not blessed. It's not necessarily a sign that you are blessed. If you're lacking, it's not necessarily a sign that you're not blessed. It's not necessarily a sign that you are blessed. The point is this, that when you are a truly blessed person, it's because you have the spirit of God with you and for you. And like Paul says, I can learn to be content in any and every situation, whether I have a lot or a little, I am content, I am satisfied, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what blessing is, is to live in the kingdom of God with the king living in your heart. That's true blessing. But still, it makes you ask, how is it that he can speak a message which he spoke it so we believe that it's true, but what does it really mean that he could call something blessed that really isn't a blessed state, like intrinsically? And I think that this passage in Romans chapter 5 can point a little light to, shed a little light on this. So let me show this to you. Paul has... He says a lot of crazy things, and this is an audacious thing that he says, and a beautiful thing, all at the same time. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, which, by the way, the only thing that we can do is put our faith in Jesus. And I was praying this week that broken people would come here. I was praying I was praying that mourning people would come. I was praying that empty and needy people would come. And I was praying that people would come that thought, I'm not good enough for God, I've let him down. Hey friend, it's by faith.
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through what he's done. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now watch this. This is audacious. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And it's within this passage I want to show you that God in an upside-down kingdom can turn things that are bad for good. Watch this. We can rejoice in something that's negative, suffering. Like, let's just be honest. Suffering is not a blessed state inherently, especially not in the world. Like, this is not just inherently, intrinsically a good thing, but in the kingdom of God, suffering produces endurance. And in the kingdom of God, endurance produces, if you, let its, if you let it accomplish its work in you, if you let the Holy Spirit turn it for good in you, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And so in the kingdom of God, and only in the kingdom of God, something negative can be turned into something positive. And that is why, let's go back to our verse, that is why we can say, blessed are the poor in spirit and those who mourn and those who are hungry and those who are needy. That is why we can look at these, these situations and negative circumstances and we can say, that you are indeed blessed because in the kingdom of God, because of this king, he's gonna turn it for good. And it's only Jesus that can do that. And it's only Jesus that can proclaim a blessing upon your life when you're in that state because he knows that you're positioned in brokenness for blessing. I mean, Jesus brought such a revolutionary kingdom. It's so easy for us to just get used to it. But just consider the revolution that he brought. The very most prominent symbols of our faith are symbols of failure to the world. The cross was the greatest embarrassment in the entire Roman Empire. They, they tried to come up with the death that was gonna be the most painful for somebody to endure because they wanted it to be the most hideous thing for any criminal to go through. And they wanted it to be out in the open in front of everybody for the optimum amount of embarrassment. And this is the symbol that our God, the God of all creation, the God of the universe, chose to hang himself on. When the world sees utter failure, the God of the universe sees the greatest victory. When the world looks at you and says, you're garbage, you're poor, you're broken, and you're a failure. God looks at you and he says, you, friend, are positioned and ready when you admit it for this kingdom that has come to you.
for God came for the broken. He came for the needy. And by the way, if you are not needy and you are good on your own, then you might not have a place in this kingdom. In order to receive this kingdom, you must have need of a king. This is why Jesus says silly things like, hey, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. And we're like, well, but everybody's sick, Jesus. He knows that. He wonders if we know. He, all he ever does is give a human being an opportunity to confess to what he already knows. Like when, G, when God shows up in the, in the garden in the beginning, where are you? Like he didn't know. What have you done? Like he didn't know. What's he doing? He's giving humanity an opportunity to say, I'm broken and I'm screwed up, God. Here I am. And he says, perfect. I've been waiting for that. You're ready now. <laughs> and so other than the cross, communion is this physical symbol that we have of brokenness that created victory. And so we're gonna receive this together. I wanna invite you to take those elements out. And I wanna invite you, maybe if you've done this a thousand times, to approach the bread and the juice, which is the body and the blood of Christ with reverence. I want to invite you to approach this moment with a, like a childlike faith that says, I just, I'm ready to behold you again, Jesus. I'm ready to behold what, what these elements, because what you hold in your hand is not just a cracker. It's not just a cup of juice. It's a representation of the broken body of the king of the universe and his blood that was poured out for you. And so I want to invite you as Seth begins to sing to just hold those elements, maybe look at them or maybe close your eyes and just consider. Let the eyes of your heart behold this king and what he's done for you. The Bible instructs us to discern the body and the blood. That is to fully recognize what it is that took place. And you, you know, Jesus wasn't a hologram. He was fully man and he was fully God, but he didn't pull the God card out when it came to the beating. He felt it. He felt every lashing. He felt every bit of it. He was so nervous about it in the garden the night before. He, he's praying like, is there any other way, Father, that we could do this? He's sweating blood because he felt it all. So as you hold that cracker in your hand, recognize that's a body that was broken for you and you deserved it. The blood that was poured out was required for the forgiveness of sins and it should have been yours. But he poured it out for you. And so, Seth, we begin singing and let's just behold him.
Let's just, in our heart, consider him. Let us remember him. Oh, blood and tears, how can it be? There's a God who weeps. There's a God who bleeds. So praise the one who would reach for me. Jesus was betrayed he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said this is my body it's broken for you he of course would go on to be whipped and beaten and spit on and tortured and crucified an embarrassment to the world brokenness and failure and yet you and I receive blessings in that brokenness And as we eat of this bread, we're not just remembering something that he did 2,000 years ago. We are receiving the fullness of what he won for us. You see, he went to the post and was whipped and beaten and lashed and striped for our healing, for our wholeness. And those are benefits of his sacrifice. And so we're going to receive this in a moment, and I'm going to pray And I want to specifically invite you, if you're here in this room or maybe you're joining us online and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, you've never recognized him for who he is and what he did for you. As we receive this together, this is your moment in faith, in your heart, to say, Jesus, I recognize you. I acknowledge that you're king. And as I eat of this cracker, I receive your death by faith. And I receive by faith the healing and the wholeness that you provided. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We recognize that we were separated from you because of our sin. We were broken and we were lost. We were deserving of this death, and yet you came and you took our place. Thank you for taking the brokenness in your body on our behalf. 
We remember you through this and we receive the fullness of what you want for us. In Jesus' name, let's take the bread together. His body was broken for our healing and wholeness and his blood was poured out for our forgiveness and salvation. After the meal, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That's a new agreement, a new legally binding agreement between God and man. He's saying, it is no longer about your ability to fulfill works and righteousness. It's not about your sin and your lack of sin You cannot accomplish it by your works. The agreement is that I'm pouring out my blood for you and it's to be received by faith. Forgiveness, salvation, and reconciliation with God. And so, Lord, we thank you for your blood. Lamb of God, that you would sacrifice for us, that your blood covers all sin that your blood as you poured it out on the cross was flowing to us to bring us life. As we drink of this, we remember you and we receive you and we ask Holy Spirit that you would fill us and that you would lead us. Let's drink of that together.